Broadcasting from Edinburgh, Scotland, across the globe. You're listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed, the People's Podcast. Here to rock the podcast world. It's the Sutherlands. I'm back at the controls again after a rather a long period away. So uh, sorry to the regular listeners for that, all four of you. Um, yes, I've been moving house and um, doing up my old house uh, to let it out and uh, trying to sort out electricians and with a rewire, the plumbers, the decorators, putting in a new kitchen. My goodness, what a complete pain that was. Um, Absolutely extraordinary. Not so much that I was doing the work myself, but just all the decisions you've got to make. There's just non-stop decisions coming at you every single day and trying to do the day job and do the podcast as well as move all my stuff down south. Um, Yeah, quite a lot going on. Not helped, of course, by the fact that I'm incredibly tight and refuse to pay well over £1,000 for a removals van to move the stuff out of the old house and into the new house. Just looking at the... Figures, it was probably about £1,500 to get some professionals to move the house. Whereas I thought, well, both my legs work and my arms work, and I can rent a three and a half ton Mercedes Sprinter for £30 a day. I can do this cheaper myself. And indeed I did, but I almost went crazy in the process. Anyway, finally I've got back to, uh, got back to work. Uh, at the moment I am in Mauritius, and that's how I've got some time to, to do this, because there's nothing much else to do in Mauritius really when you're by yourself, so uh, it gives me a bit of time to record the podcast. So what about Mauritius? As I said, I was going to try and say something about the places that I, that I go with work in case people are thinking of going on a holiday or travelling or got a honeymoon or something coming up. Uh, yeah, we came here Sunday lunchtime, we set off about one, between one and two in the afternoon, 11 hours, 11 minutes flight time down over Europe and uh, right through Africa, over Kenya and then out over the Indian Ocean. And that arrives um, into Mauritius just before breakfast. We landed about three or four minutes before dawn into uh, the airfield on the east side of the island, um, into a rain shower. It all seems to be raining in Mauritius. don't know why. It just, just rains constantly. I've been here several times, and it's always raining. But nice place to go. Uh, but a long old flight, yeah, 5,000 miles. I mean, at this time of year, you've still got quite good weather in the uh, Mediterranean. That's like two hours away, so... Uh, Yeah, I suppose it's something a little bit different. And it is that. It's a a completely different culture, I suppose. Interesting place, actually, Mauritius. uh, It was uninhabited, actually, until relatively recently. So uh, as far as uh, studies go for multiracial countries or multicultural countries, it's quite interesting because there is no dominant culture here at all. Um, The Dutch found the place in uh, 1638, and, uh, of course, famously shot all the dodos. They'd never seen human beings before, so they didn't realise they were a threat. And the Dutch went, yes, bird, let's just shoot it. Let's cook the fucking thing. It's a bit of a cook, big chicken. So, um, yeah, they came, they, they shot all the dodos, which was, which was nice. So uh, they're now extinct. Um, they couldn't really make it work, though. Couldn't really make it work. So uh, they all cleared out in 1710. And the French were sort of wandering around and found it five years later. And, um, yeah, and it became really quite French. French-speaking, French culture, French legal system. 
Um, the French, of course, lost it to the British in 1810, and uh, the British ran it for 158 years until in 1968 it got its independence, one of the very last countries to get independence, I believe. Um, you wouldn't know it was British when you're here. It's completely French. They all speak French. The, uh, the French culture uh, is here, or the road signs are in French. The drive on the left, though, the same as Britain, because obviously cars were only really invented when the British were running it, so uh, they were all driving on the, the left. Um, but yeah, it's quite clever, really, the British, aren't they? They, um, they allowed all the customs to uh, remain uh, French, so there was very little conflict when the, the Brits moved in, and uh, the Brits seem to be relatively popular here. It's very, very popular with the French uh, as well, with the, the French language and many regular flights from uh, Paris daily, I believe, from Paris down to Mauritius. Um, but yeah, they, they they just allowed them to keep the customs that they had, um, but took the enormous profits from the, the sugar cane industries, which are here. It's, I was thinking, actually, it's quite similar to what's happening in the UK today. I obviously got into cars, as probably some of you might know. And if you think about what's happened with all our indigenous car brands, like Bentley, uh, Mini, I suppose Rover for it went skint, um, Rolls-Royce, these companies, they've all been taken over by the Germans, BMW and VW. And you've also got the Japanese, of course, who've got Nissan, Toyota and Honda, do a lot of business in the UK. But they've allowed the British designers to stay there. They've allowed the British mark to survive and the British sort of um, qualities to remain. Certainly, image-wise, certainly, that, that British image, Land Rover, Jaguar, all these things, Indian, of course, they are. But, of course, they take all the money back to their countries. That's exactly what the British did in the, uh, the empire. They didn't really impose too heavily on the, uh, the host country, but they took all their money. And that's what all these countries are now doing today in the UK. Yeah, so as I was saying, quite a long flight time down to Mauritius. Uh, weather's a bit variable, really. It's uh, not the kind of place to come if you want uh, wall-to-wall sunshine. Um, obviously, in the Southern Hemisphere... Time zone is four hours ahead of the UK. And, um, yeah, I was just thinking, it would be, due to this multi-racial, multi-ethnic population, it would have been a good place to do my geography thesis when I was at Edinburgh University. I could have come here and looked at how all the cultures, with there being no one dominant culture, you know, it, it is quite a harmonious existence uh, in Mauritius. And I should have really done my geography thesis here instead of, doing the bus lanes in the west side of Edinburgh, which was significantly less interesting, I can tell you that. Anyway, enough about me swanning about in Mauritius. Um, what's been going on? Well, yeah, it's over a month since I last did the, the podcast. Quite a lot's happened, really. It's hard to know uh, where to start. All sorts of things have been going on. Um, but particularly for, for me, the uh, one of the main things is the EU uh, referendum campaign has sort of kicked off in the last six weeks, hasn't it? Uh, I think Stuart Rose has been uh, given the job of heading up the pro-European campaign. And uh, no one quite knew what Jeremy Corbyn was going to do, because he seemed to be quite anti-European, which was quite refreshing. But it seems that the Labour Party are going to uh, crumble um, to the establishment and uh, become... uh, pro-EU campaign to stay in and the Tories, well, goodness knows what they're going to do they're probably going to rip themselves to shreds over it but Stuart Rose, uh, he's heading up this campaign, a uh, corporatist uh, businessman well, I I wonder why he's in favour of the EU what could possibly be an advantage if you run a 
multinational company which employs lots and lots of people, what could possibly be the advantage of having hundreds of thousands of low-paid Eastern Europeans flooding into your labour market? I, I can't think how that would advantage you at all. Unbelievable. You know, these guys that run these corporations, they're all mad. They really are. I'm, I'm not talking about Stuart Rose in particular, but I read one of these popular psychology books. I probably read too many of them, to be honest. And it said that a good proportion of CEOs are psychopaths. Absolute psychopaths. If you run a, a multinational or a, 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 a large FTSE company or a, a Dow Jones company, chances are you're a complete psychopath. Not in the sense that you're going to go around with a chainsaw and chop people's heads off, but just that you have no feelings whatsoever for people around you. It's all about yourself, personal gain, and the poor employees that you um, you have. It's just a game. It's just a game between these guys that run these companies. They don't care about the staff or the employees or even the responsibilities that come with running a public limited company or the equivalents in the USA and uh, uh, in, in Europe, they only care about themselves and how they can get ahead and climb that greasy pole to the top. They will just stomp on you. It's, I think it's like one in four CEOs is technically a psychopath. I think that was a stat that they were peddling, as opposed to maybe one in 200 in the general population, something like that. They're probably not the exact figures. But they're, psychopaths are properly over-represented in the, uh, the world of business, that's for sure. So, yeah, wonder why they like it. Limitless cheap labour, the TTIP scheme that's coming in, um, again, I'm not right up to speed with it, but it seems to allow large corporations the right to sue governments um, so they can, and you, you can take a government to court as a corporation if the laws aren't suiting you, if they're making you pay too much tax, you can actually take a government to court. It seems absolutely extraordinary. They've got far more legal protection as a corporation to do that. And they have enormous powers as corporations. They employ so many people. They aren't limited by national borders. And uh, to give them even more powers, the powers almost of a nation state, is really, really scary. And uh, I, I think we need to get out of the EU. Not that that's going to fix the problems with these evil corporations. We need to get out of the EU and rearm now. Because I do not like the way this EU is going. They are becoming, the way they've treated Greece, Portugal, Ireland, uh, democracy is just irrelevant to them. If they can get away with a veneer of democracy or the appearance of that, then they will. But if democracy isn't suiting them or the populations are coming up with the wrong answers, they just railroad straight over them, don't they? Um, it's, it's, it's terrifying. I, mean, I used to just think it was uh, annoying, the EU, and you know some of the regulations that they put on businesses were excessive, the red tape, um, and also the fact that some of the other EU countries simply didn't apply these, uh, these regulations. I never forget, we had a good friend when I was growing up, and he ran a sausage factory, of all things, down in Witness. And um, they had wooden chopping boards that they'd used for ages to, to prepare the meat for these sausages. And they were forced to invest tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of pounds, replacing all their wooden services, which were scrubbed down every night, and replace them with stainless steel um, at vast expense. And where did the old wood chopping services get sold to? He sold them to France, because the French simply did not enforce this regulation. Um, they'd never had any problems with food poisoning, because these wooden services were rubbed down every night, so effectively you've got a fresh surface every night, because they were just lightly sanded down and uh, 
it was very, very safe. So, I mean, th there are regulations. People always ask, oh, give me one regulation that the EU's done. Well, that's one. There you go, there's one. And I'm sure there's countless others. And, um, yeah, so it was annoying back then, but now it really does seem to be an absolute affront to democracy. It scares the hell out of me, to be honest. So, yeah, we need to get out and rearm. That's what we need to do, uh, because we could have a mighty fight on our hands uh, if we go against the might of the EU. And look at what they've done to... Uh, in the Ukraine. I mean, they were really getting involved there. They caused the problem in the Ukraine. And now they've got sanctions against Putin, who's, you know, no great friend of uh, the West or, you know, I'm no fan of him whatsoever. But the, the way that they treated him was just extraordinary and they caused most of these problems. So my word is on the EU, get out and rearm. Hey, this is yours truly, Black Caesar Rex of the Sea Pirate Network. And when I'm not out here listening to Hadrick and Ramsey, we're broadcasting out on the Sea Pirate Network, www.iko.haaus. We're looking forward to having the Hatrick and Ramsey podcast up on the channel on our network soon. Black Caesar X, I'm out. Enjoying the show? Tell us about it. Send us your feedback, suggestions, or thoughts to Hatrick and Ramsey at gmail.com. What's up? It's your boy Relevision, host of Five Mics Radio, Fridays at 11.30, live from New York. Shout out to the Hattrick and Ramsey Podcast. This show is brought to you by EdinburghDusters.com and IdeasGoingLive.com. Welcome back after those quick commercial messages. Yeah, well, what else has been going on uh, in the six weeks since I've been away? It's end of October now, and, uh, well, finally, finally, John Gaunt launched his uh, Talk To Me radio. I've been downloading his podcast for a while now. It really, to be honest, inspires this uh, podcast that I do now. Um, really funny guy. I didn't really know much about him from being up in... Scotland and the north of England all my life. I believe he was based largely in London and the, the, the West Midlands or, or certainly the home counties for most of his career. But, yeah, Talk To Me Radio got, got going. It doesn't actually get broadcast through a transmitter. It's entirely done over an app or, or, or the Internet. And uh, as such, it's completely unregulated. I assume it's completely unregulated. It must have some sort of regulation, but it doesn't have to be regulated by Ofcom anyway, from what I can tell. Um, it's very funny, I have to say. I think I would have done a podcast before now if I hadn't been listening to that the whole time. Um, he just pisses everyone off. It, it, it's brilliant, actually. If you've um, been listening to the radio uh, in, in, in the mornings, it's um, James O'Brien is on uh, LBC. He's kind of entertaining sometimes, but he just tends to shout at people most of the time. Uh, BBC Five Live, um, Radio Five Live, just... I used to listen to that all the time. I used to listen to it religiously in the mornings. Um, it wasn't too too bad, but I can't remember the last time I listened to it now. It's just so safe and so full of sport, and I hate sport. And I hate everything about sport. And they were witter on about sport the whole time. I can't stand that. There's lots of traffic, traffic information and uh, news. Um, but this um, Talk To Me Radio, it's sort of done as a podcast, really. You can either listen to it live 
or you can listen to it as a, a podcast afterwards. And for me, with travelling around the world as I do, it's brilliant because I just get where I'm going as long as I've got internet. Um, the internet in Mauritius is appalling, but eventually I managed to download it. Um, you can listen to the show at any time. And because there's no weather, there's no news, um, it really doesn't matter that you're not listening to it live at all. And you can email in and tweet in and he'll, he'll read it out the next day. So it's great. You can listen to it when you want. If someone comes to the door, you can just pause it and take it away. And uh, despite the fact that it's a live phone-in show and you're not listening to it live, it really works brilliantly. And, and I really wouldn't have believed it would work as well as it, it, it has. Um, it, but it's genius, really. It is. And John's very, very funny. And the producer, Nick uh, Margerison, uh, he just sounds so sensible. Um, it, it, he must, he's obviously very persuasive at getting these people to, to ring in. They, they've had um, David Aronovich, some guy from Cypriot uh, TV, rings in. Uh, lo- loads of names that you'd recognise. Adam Bolton, um, a lot of the guys from UKIP. They're, they're, they've rung. It's only been going like a week, and all these guys have already rung in. Um, but Nick Majerson must get these people on the radio and... Uh, by talking to them in a very controlled way and saying, we'd love to hear your views. And then Gaunty just, just, he sort of, you could tell in the interview, and he just sort of snaps. He's trying to hold it back, and then they'll say something that just annoys him, and he just, he can't help himself. He just goes for it. And then they just start shouting back, and it comes into a right old slanging match, which normally means that they just um, slam the phone down on him. <laughs> and it's, it's very funny to listen to. I just, just hope that he doesn't annoy absolutely everybody out there and uh, nobody will ring in anymore. Um, his daughter, Rosie, is also on it, and it's, it's quite, quite charming, actually, the, uh, the interaction, the fact that she just shouts at her father and... Uh, Cause him disgusting every now and again at some of his views, and uh, and he, he doesn't say anything back to Rosie. He, he he's he's terrified of Rosie, not not terrified, but nobody else could say that and get away with it. You know, I think maybe the daughter and the father thing. You know, she can say what she likes. Um, he just says, "Go and make me a cup of tea," or get another call on Rosie Love. You know, it's like that, and uh, you can just imagine her look on her face and the sort of scowling over the desk or through the window or however they have it set up there. It, it's very good, uh, very good indeed. They'll get shut down, of course, because they're, they're, they're saying stuff uh, which the establishment don't like. Um, so it'll probably get closed down or they'll somehow change the regulations so internet radio are also regulated by Ofcom because um, it is, as he calls it himself, the home of free speech. And that's pretty dangerous to the establishment, the home of free speech, isn't it? It's um, pretty dangerous stuff that you don't want people saying what they think or having freedom to express views or say things against people in the establishment, that's, a, that's extremely dangerous. So I can't see that lasting very long. Um, but it's absolutely absolutely great fun. Um, I haven't listened to James O'Brien since. I really don't think I have listened to James O'Brien since. Because you can download it as a podcast, I can just listen to it at any time, or even listen to it again, because you can go back and listen to the interview with David Aronovich or someone else that he has a right old Barney with. It's... Uh, it's great fun. But what, um, what I was going to talk about, actually, in this sector was um, something else that happened since we last uh, did the podcast, and that's that Uber have won the high court against the black cab industry. And uh, that's actually why I was going to talk about um, John Gaunt, Gaunty um, and also people like James O'Brien. They're all so in favour of the black cab industry. And 
I cannot for the life of me work out why. I'm delighted that Uber have won this court case. Um, I, 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 nothing particularly against black cabs, but they're just anachronistic. It's, it's a bygone era. I mean, I believe until recently, uh, I think it was Birmingham Council or a council somewhere in the West Midlands uh, actually still employed a gas street light uh, lighter to light the gas strips. Just about, about the last gas street light was turned off in about 1930. They were still paying someone 30 grand a year to light the street lights. That, to me, is what a black cab is. It's just an anachronism. It's stuck in a, the wrong era. It's stuck in the wrong era. You've got the Uber vehicles with the smartphone apps. You can track when your car's arriving. If you've got a, uh, a loved one in a vehicle, you can see where they're going and that they've arrived safely. You have a picture of the driver, so you know it's the guy that's uh, registered by Uber. Um, it's absolutely brilliant, and they're rolling out across the UK. Um, the, the, the funding of it, I know people say it's run by Goldman Sachs. Uh, well, wh- whatever. I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I mean, Google is a huge corporation. You can't say it hasn't made life better or uh, improved the way that people access information around the world. Well, Uber's the same. It's cheaper. Good. Because black cabs are far too expensive in London. Um, Jenny and I went up for uh, a meal out in London, uh, a bit of a slap up one evening, and uh, we got an Uber there, and it was £10. Exactly the same journey back, but later at night, and the traffic was less, £25. It was £15 more. I mean, that's... That's crazy. And at that point, I vowed never to get a black cab again because it was, it, it, they're just crazy money. They, they really are. And what's more, the service from Uber is excellent. I can read a review. I can write a review. I don't have to have cash. And I don't like the, the stress of tips. You know, when you get out of a taxi and the guy's been driving like a moron, listen to something on the radio you hate, and there's a smell of sick in the back of the cab. And you think, actually, why should I tip you? Well, it's it doesn't feel good not to tip, but with Uber, there's none of that. You know, it's all done through PayPal. You don't have to get your cash out. There's no awkwardness at the end of the journey. It's just all done. And what's more, all the vehicles I've had have been so clean. I'm sure there's bad experiences with them. I'm sure people have, but I've had none. It's always been a Toyota Prius or a Honda Insight vehicle. These are hybrid vehicles, uh, petrol hybrid engines. They put out virtually no nitrogen dioxide as opposed to the filthy diesel monstrosities that are these black cabs. I mean, I know they've got to keep them in reasonable condition. I'm dense. But it overlooks the fact that they're just belching out black fumes. They're killing us all. They're giving us lung cancer. They're giving us COPD. They're causing autism and a cancer epidemic in London. Absolutely disgusting vehicles. Uh, I know Transport for London say they have to have them, but that's their selling point, is that they drive these disgusting, filthy monstrosities pouring out smoke down the back um they're 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 gross they're absolutely disgusting of course all the radio presenters are incredibly pro black cab because these are listeners i don't know how many black cabs are in london don't know but they listen to radio during the day so no radio presenter whether it's james o'brien whether it's john gaunt anyone else that is uh got a daytime radio show will say anything against the black cab despite the fact i think they know in their heart of hearts that the game is up they've been charging far too much for far too long uber's come along and uh, they have halved the price of it and i say good on them i really do
Yeah, so I mean, they they just uh, they passed their passed their sell by date. To be honest, anyone can. I have to accept that in my job, one day somebody may not require my skills, and then I have to just retrain and do something else. You know, too bad. I've just got to go and do that. So uh, that's my thoughts on uh, Uber, and also uh, my thoughts on the new uh, way of broadcasting that is Talk to Me Radio. That's uh, really exciting, really exciting indeed. Anyway, here are some more messages, and I'll get back to you in just a moment.
Welcome back to part three. It's John Sutherland again at the controls of the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast. Let loose from Edinburgh, Scotland. Well, what I was going to talk about, well, I had a couple of little things to wash up, really. It's just something which has been on my mind for a while. It's about discrimination. And in the last few weeks, there's been lots of stuff about and there's not enough black people in the police. There's not enough Muslims who work in McDonald's. There's not enough. There's not enough. Whatever they want to try and make everyone the same and have all the right numbers of people um, in every single profession, which is is not reality. It's not reality at all. It, it's not how people are. Um, it, it's obvious that communities that are newer to the country will not have as many places in the establishment because they just haven't been here that long. But it got me thinking, where do you draw the line? So if you need to have total equality between the number of black police officers, say, or you need to have a certain number of Muslims in the in the police, well, what, where do you draw the line? What about stupid people, for example? Oh, you said, oh, there's not enough um, women in uh, CEO roles, or there's not enough black people who are chief executives. Well, okay, what about stupid people then? You could say there's not enough stupid people who are partners in law firms. You know, because as long as it's just something you have no control over, like how intelligent you are, then why should you just make it racial? Why not just make it about intelligence? Yeah, we just don't have enough stupid air traffic controllers, you know, or uh, just have quotas on everything. Because actually, these are the things which really make the difference in your life, not so much the colour of your skin or your religion, but how clever you are, you know, what, what gifts you were born with. Um, so I'm only being slightly facetious when I say that maybe we should have quotas for stupid people in top jobs. I mean, we have it for MPs, so why not in other professions? And then, well, innate intelligence is, is one thing. Um, if you don't have innate intelligence, it doesn't allow you to get into a certain job, so maybe you should have a quota for that. Uh, just to get the numbers up. But it, it, to me, it's no, almost no less stupid than whether it's done on racial grounds, because you don't have any control over that. Um, and then my mind, as it does, went on a little mission. And I started thinking, well, what about ugly people? Because how good-looking you are, again, you have no control over that. Um, I mean, maybe if you're morbidly obese or something, you could lose weight. But if you're just fundamentally ugly or bald or something, you don't look very nice or you don't conform to society's um, expectations of what you should look like. You do not get as far in life. I think um, the expression has been used, particularly with women, but I'm sure with men as well. It's called erotic capital. It's the amount that you can get on in life based on how you look, how charming you are, the way you present yourself to the world. And if you happen to be pig ugly then the chances are you're not going to get as far in life. Um, certainly politicians, to get to the top, you need to have the kind of slicked back hair, you need to have tall, you, know, you need to have good skin and all that kind of stuff and be athletic. Um, you do not get as far. So again, I think if we're going to go on the quota line, we need to have a sort of index of ugliness. And again, into these top jobs, you have to slot a certain number of ugly people into, into these jobs. Again, I'm only being slightly facetious. Why not? If it's something that you can't control, and I think that's pretty much the definition of discrimination, it's something which you don't have any control over, 
that someone else is judging you by or limiting your career options, then ugliness is perfectly valid. And then it got me thinking about a book I read a while ago. It's another one of these popular psychology books. I need to stop reading these books. Um, I read far too many of them. I'm not quite sure they're good for me. But it was doing a similar sort of study on equality of outcome. And they did a study of CEOs of American corporations. And they looked at education, family background, gender, race, the number of books they had in their houses. And don't get me wrong, the generally were sort of middle-class males. Um, but th there were plenty of women who were running these companies too. Uh, there were plenty of people from poorer backgrounds that had come up through businesses that were running these, these companies. And as I mentioned in the first half, probably all psychopaths too. But the one thing which... The, the only thing that they could definitively say these people were, rather than background or, or, or gender was height, was height. I think, I, I don't have the stats to hand, but it's, it was something like only 7% of CEOs of large American companies are under six feet tall. It's a tiny proportion. So if we're going to have discrimination laws, then let's have height laws. A certain number of people say under five foot eight need to be able to get jobs as chief constables or need to be able to get top jobs in the law or should become members of parliament. Um, as long as it's making this stuff up, then where do you stop, really, honestly? How about lazy people? I mean, lazy people are really underrepresented in life, aren't they, at top end? I mean, I'm pretty lazy, to be honest. And why should I, as a lazy person, not have a well-paid job? It's not my fault I'm lazy. I was just born lazy. I was, wasn't born that attractive. I wasn't born that tall. Same thing. So I should have all these opportunities, too was actually, by being white and male, I feel I have fewer opportunities than certain other people in society. So it's just one of those things, if you take it to the nth degree, it doesn't make much sense, or you just can't implement these policies. Anyway, that's what I was thinking about there. The other thing that I uh, heard about was um, that it seems that uh, Sepp Blatter has now admitted that the Russia, uh, World Cup in Russia was a fix. Well, what a surprise. What a surprise that was. That came as a surprise to all of us. Oh, 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 hang on, hang on. I've just remembered it's, um, separate. that's football, isn't it? That's sport. Sport. Oh, oh yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all because it's sport, so it absolutely doesn't matter. So I won't say any more about that because who cares? It's sport. I hate sport and I can say it now. Well, hey! Anyway, have a fantastic week and I will speak to you again with a few more issues in uh, the coming weeks. Take care and stay safe. The name's Bond. James Bond.